Well, if you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. You should have a pew Bible there. If you don't have one, feel free to use that one. Uh, also, if you do not have a Bible of your own, we've got a few blue copies on the way out. Uh, grab one of those, write your name in it. We'd love for you to take that home with you. If you're unfamiliar with where 1 Thessalonians is, we're in the New Testament. Feel free to use the table of contents. It's not a sin to use it. And have that there open in front of you as we look at this New Testament letter of Paul to this church in Thessalonica. And this morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9 and go through verse 16. As we're doing this all the way up until the Advent season, we're going to look at 1 and 2 Thessalonians, just verse by verse, as it comes in order. And we're just going to hopefully, by God's grace, just unpack these letters and see what the Lord has for us from week to week. And so while you're opening up to 1 Thessalonians 2, Brian Chappell uh, once told the story of Karen and her husband, Randy. He was a seminary student, and she worked full-time uh, to pay for his school and to put food on the table. I know this situation very well. It was our situation as well when we were in seminary. And her job was with a major pharmaceutical company as a quality control inspector. And one day there was a large order of syringes that came in and the machine that produced them had some sort of fault in it and the, the order that they had produced had actually been contaminated. And they failed her inspection and she reported the issue to her boss and the cost of reproducing that order would have been absolutely huge and as you can probably imagine, companies don't really like losing money. And so she was ordered or pressured to sign off on that inspection. Her, her signature was the only one that mattered. She was the quality control inspector that was there. Her signature made all the difference. And she was being forced to sign off on something that she knew that was going out the door was not correct and may be actually unsafe. And the company president came to visit her and urged her to sign off on that. And if she didn't, her job was at stake. But more than just a job, how would her husband keep going in school? How would they eat? Remember, she is the primary uh, kind of breadwinner during this time as he was a seminary student. And how in the world would they make ends meet? And so she had a choice to make. She could make a decision that was led by the values of her company uh, and that the one that they thought was right. Or she could refuse to sign because she was seeking to live by the values of God's kingdom, and they gave her a weekend to think it over. I'll tell you what happened at the end. Now, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote this letter probably from Corinth to this young fledgling church in Thessalonica after receiving a glowing report from Timothy about their faith and steadfastness in the midst of ridicule and persecution while, a, while living in a massive pagan city in ancient Macedonia. And again, we said a couple of commentators have said that Thessalonica back in its day was almost like the New York City of Macedonia. Major port city, a lot of culture, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of visitors to and from the city. And it was this big, massive, you can think this big, massive city that's 50 miles away from Mount Olympus and all of this pagan idolatry worship that's going on. And then this tiny little fledgling church that's there and trying to kind of live in everyday life. It's good for us to remember the historical context of these books, that this was written uh, by a real person in real space and time to other people living in a real place in real space and time. And so there's a historical context that goes along with it. 
And apparently after Paul had left Thessalonica, some detractors began telling these young Christians to ignore Paul because he was really only doing it for selfish gain. And passages like this one where Paul defends his ministry this week and the one previous last week, these, these passages are really helpful because they give us a glimpse into what Paul was thinking and they actually give us a, a glimpse into how Paul personally ministered to others in the first century. And so as we look at this passage, we remember two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words, and this letter has been preserved for us in Holy Scripture so that we can grow in our knowledge and love of the Lord. So passages like this that we read are helpful for us. Also, we remember that the human condition has changed 0% since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The heart is the same, even though the outside wrapper looks a little different. So these passages are just as relevant today as they always have been. And in the opening chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul offers thanks to God for this group of Christians, but he also defends his ministry among them to silence those detractors and also to encourage the saints. And this passage this morning actually includes both of those, thanksgiving and a defense of his ministry. But it also gives us insight into how we are to influence where we live today with the gospel by seeing how the Thessalonians influenced where they lived in their day and age. See if you can spot those things as we read. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word this morning. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind." by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Well, Father, as we come to you, we pray that as you would, you would take these words and, Lord, seal them into our hearts and help us to receive them with the authority that they come with directly from your mouth, Lord, to our ear. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would change and challenge and convict us, redescribe reality to us. Lord, um, we pray that you would afflict us in our comfort, Lord, and that you would build us up and encourage us, O oh Lord, when, if we are afflicted. Lord, remind us of your grace and mercy, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so last week as we started out 1 Thessalonians, we were looking as Paul was defending his ministry. We saw that there were two main things that kind of marked his ministry in the first century to the Thessalonians. We saw that his ministry was marked by the gospel, and it was also marked with relationships. Those were our two big points last week. And our call was to imitate this type of ministry as we reach out to an increasingly skeptical world that we are to build loving relationships with those and get to know people around us and then take those relationships and use them and couple them with the message of the gospel and a message of grace that points to Christ. And today we're, we're going to once again examine Paul's words about his ministry among the Thessalonians and we're going to see what we can learn about ministering to the world around us for the glory of Christ. And so we're going to see two more things. So last week, ministry marked by relationships in the gospel. This morning, we're going to see two things. That is a costly ministry coupled with a powerful word. So a costly ministry and a powerful word and how those two things go together. So those will be our two points. Let's look at that first one. We're going to see a costly ministry. Look, as, as Paul starts out in verse 9, he begins by mentioning the labor and toil that he, Silas, and Timothy had experienced while they were in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, tells us that Paul was a tent maker by trade, and he did that to support himself along with the benevolent gifts of others that came in to support his work while he was on his missionary journeys. And he tells us that they did not want to be, quote, a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And we need to remember that Paul and his companions were being accused of just rolling into town as like these traveling evangelist guys and basically fleecing other people for money. And Paul responds by reminding this congregation that they had worked hard to support themselves while they were there. They said, we were trying our best to not be a burden to you. And we, as you know, we worked and labored and toiled and we were coming alongside you. And we're being accused of basically coming in and doing this for selfish gain. And no, that's not what we did. You remember what we did among you. And look in verse 10. It says that Paul worked hard with God's help to conduct himself in a holy and righteous and blameless way before the Thessalonians so as not to detract or distract from the message that they preached. They, they, uh, he said our ministry was holy. It was devoted to God. It was righteous. It was free from injustice towards others. It was blameless. It wasn't perfect, but it was above accusation. And in many ways, this is the way that we're called to imitate Paul, to live lives of integrity and quiet faithfulness before the watching world for the glory of Christ. But then we ask the question, are we going to do this perfectly? The answer is no, we're not going to do it perfectly. That's why we look to Christ, we ask for the Spirit's help, we ask for the Spirit to give us those fruit of the Spirit. Lord, more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We ask for the Spirit to help us and to make godly decisions even if it's hard and to be above reproach as the Lord gives us the help to do it. We're called to imitate Paul and his companions as they were there working away for the sake of the gospel and to, to, to have a hopefully a, a, a blameless ministry. And we rely upon the Spirit's help. We rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We press on in faith. We trust the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit over the long haul. And we remember and we realize that one of the most powerful external testimonies to the world around us is a life that has been changed and shaped by the gospel. Many of you have the same stories where you say, I, 
I, I once, I used to be like this, but now by God's grace, I'm like this. Some of you who have also grown up in this town, you've said, well, people know and remember what I was like in junior high and high school. But you say, but thankfully, by God's grace, I'm not that same person. I'm different. It's one of the most powerful testimonies in the world around us. It's just a life that's been changed and shaped by the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, which was an absolute hot mess. They were fighting with each other and... Just a, just a, it's been called a letter to an ugly bride. And Paul wrote and said, And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, And you were once like this, but now by God's grace, the gospel has come in and it's changing your life. And Paul mentioned in chapter 1, of 1 Thessalonians, that the gospel had so powerfully impacted the Thessalonians that everyone in the region had heard how they had turned from idolatry and served the living and true God, and they had borne up under much suffering, so much so that others in the surrounding area took notice of the change that had happened in the lives of the Thessalonians. And you think about just the pressure that was there in the shadow of Mount Olympus to continue to offer worship and to pagan idols. And you think in the midst of this, the gospel came in and they received it. And it so powerfully changed them that they turned away from that to serve the living and true God and become ambassadors. And everybody took notice of that, that there was something different about this little fledgling group of Christians. And we think about that this morning and we ask the question, how are our lives serving as a witness to the world around us of the gospel of grace? How is the gospel changing us and shaping us in a way that is noticeable to others around us? How has the Lord been at work? Where you look back and you see, I used to be like this, but now by God's grace I'm not. And how we're asking the Lord to help our lives to be a witness to the world around us. And let's pray for the Spirit's help to have a a God-honoring ministry in our town and to live quiet, faithful lives before others. And you see, what, what does this look like? We see about how Paul is defending his ministry. Look in verse 11. Paul uses the image of a father to complement the image of, his, of a mother in verse 7. Last week we looked at, Paul said, we were like a mother among you and we were so desirous of you. and Like a, like a, a mother with a nursing child, we loved you. But now we, we get this image of the father to complement that. Verse 7, he said, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. And now in verses 11 and 12, he says, like a father, we did a few things. We exhorted, we encouraged, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And Paul knew that this group of baby Christians in Thessalonica needed the nurture and love of a mother. But they also needed the example and instruction of a father as they grew in their faith. And Paul realizes and reminds us that both aspects were absolutely essential and they were all motivated by a deep love that he had for this church, that we were tender among you, but yet we also challenged you and, and pushed you forward. And all of that mattered, like a mother and a father. Andrew Young said this in his commentary. He said, The missionary's sympathy did not stop them charging the new disciples to live the costly life that the gospel demanded. Tender as their care had been, it had been tinged with firm demand. The goal was fervent godliness, not tepid Christianity. You think about like any good coach as we get into kind of football season that's about to start up. Any good coach, 
Paul and his, command, and his companions loved this team. He loved them. They loved them. So much so that they not only encouraged them, but they also pushed them to keep going. To go keep pressing forward, even, in, even if it's hard. Even if, you, if it's confusing. Keep pressing forward. Keep working hard. Keep moving forward for the glory of God. Why? Here's the payoff. Verse 12. Why do that? It says, God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, Paul knew something about these people. That they were people with an incredible destiny. That if they thought that that big old massive city of Thessalonica was impressive with all of its buildings and its ports and just all the culture that was there, if they thought that was impressive, it absolutely paled in comparison to the heavenly kingdom of God that was now kept safe and preserved for them. They're like, you think that's great? You, there is an even greater city that awaits. And keep your eye on that. They had turned from idols and had been adopted into the family of God. They were now heirs of the kingdom and had a reserved seat at the table of the king. It's amazing when you think about it. And this is also the promise for those who have been called by Christ today. We, former idolaters, brought into the family of God by grace and made heirs of the kingdom by grace alone. You think about the amazing nature of the gospel. The Lord came to us in the midst of our pagan idolatry, shaking our fist at Him. Haters of God, insolent, boastful, haughty, came to us in the midst of that, sought us out, adopted us into His family, and now we are heirs to the kingdom of Christ. It's amazing when you think about it. What a picture of grace. And this is what immediately precedes that and such were some of you passage that we read a few minutes ago. Here's what precedes it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You think about this passage and these promises that uh, that are spoken in 1 Corinthians, because this promise is true, which, which is true, we're now, once who are former haters and enemies of God, now brought into His family and given the keys to the kingdom, as it were, because of grace. Because this promise is true, we're now compelled and encouraged by that same grace to live lives that are glorifying to God because of what He's already done for us. And this is where we take the order of the gospel and we flip it. And see, many of you grew up here and, well, you need to go be perfect and you need to go do all this stuff so that God will love you, so that maybe one day you will be an inheritor and maybe you'll be brought into his family. That's not how the gospel works. Gospel works in the sense of while you were in the midst of that, at your worst, Christ came and sought you out and paid the penalty. And now by his grace and his mercy, not by your effort, not by how perfect you are, but because of his perfection, imputed to you, reckoned to your account because of that and that alone. You now are an heir of the kingdom, co-heirs with Christ by grace. It's almost too amazing to think about. 
And we, we don't even have a concept of how beautiful that is. Because why? We're so focused on what's right here in front of us in the here and the now. And I'm saying, are there lots of wonderful, beautiful things that are in the world around us and, you know, great and wonderful things? But if you think this is good, it pales in comparison to the kingdom yet to be revealed. And don't you find your heart just kind of leaning into that a little bit? You're like, I wish I could just get a taste of that. It's the Spirit's work reminding us of what is good and true because we just forget. And Paul mentions in verse 14 that these Thessalonians face severe persecution and suffering. He says, at the hands of their own kinsmen for claiming Christ. They had a very costly ministry. But that ministry was not founded upon their efforts. Something else was at work. So we saw in the first point a costly ministry. Cost them something. But why? Because it was coupled with a powerful word. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Have you ever wondered why anyone in their right mind would willingly give their lives and stuff away to serve a king they've never seen based on words in an old book that was written way before they were born? You ever wondered that? I met with the firemen this morning and we were talking about that. You ever thought about that? That is so, why in the world would anybody, anybody, give up all this time, money, effort, whatever it is, to serve King Jesus, somebody they've never actually met in person before, and they read about him in a book that was written hundreds of years before they were ever born? Who in their right mind would do that? That's probably what folks wondered about in first century Thessalonica, and I bet some of you were asking the same question this morning about these gathered Christians in this room. Why in the world would y'all do that? And if you're asking that question, look at verse 13. This word all comes together. Verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see, what Paul is doing is he is encouraging this young church to ignore the scoffing, ignore the haters, and to stick and to hold fast to the faith that was once delivered. He's already written a section of thanksgiving about them. That's verses 2 through 10 in chapter 1. And now he breaks out into another section of thanksgiving because of what the Thessalonians and how they had responded to the word. He said that they received the word of God and they accepted it as such. And their lives proved that the word of God was at work amongst them. They received it. They accepted it. They became imitators of other mature Christians and suffered because of it. But even in the midst of that suffering, they held fast. Paul already talked about the fact that their words were not eloquent. That they had come to them. We, he said, we didn't come to you with a, a slick sales pitch. Or we, we came to you with words that were trying to emotionally manipulate you. Paul said that they simply did what others have been doing for thousands of years, that they preached the Word of God in season and out of season, and then just let the chips fall where they may according to the providence of God. He said, we brought to you this Word, and you responded. You think about this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in Word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And the Holy Spirit moved powerfully among this group of believers and drew them from darkness into light by the faithful preaching of the powerful Word of God. And that is exactly how it works today. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution and derision, you think about 
churches that are gathered around the globe. And what did they do when they gather together? They come and they sit under the preached word. It's exactly what God has been doing for hundreds of years. The foolishness of preaching. I feel it. The watching world thinks that what I'm doing right now and what you're listening to right now is absolutely worthless and a foolish waste of time. 1 Corinthians 2, there's nothing new under the sun. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul wrote, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But also he wrote 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you remember the disciples, and he turns, Jesus turns around and asks them, Do you want to go as well? And what do they say? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Where, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so if you hear the sound of my voice this morning in person, on YouTube, on the podcast, wherever, please know this as you consider this text. There is no neutrality. The Word of God is either utter folly to you or it is the power of God. There is no middle ground. Just like with Christ. He can't be kind of important. He's either the Son of God and of ultimate significance and worth. Or he's just another guy that died on a Roman cross. There's no middle ground. And so we think about what this, what this text is calling us to do. I and mean, if you're here and you're not a Christian, please heed the closing words of verse 16 and understand the wrath of God that will come upon you because of your sin. That is a real and true thing. God is not to be mocked. He's holy, holy, holy. Flee from your sin. Flee to Christ. Hear the sound of my voice is calling you to flee. Today could be the day of salvation. Flee to Christ. Flee to the Lord. If, you hear and you, if you're here and you are a Christian, the call is very much the same. Here comes the fastball down the middle. Look to Christ. Remember the gospel. Remember how it came to you in power in the midst of your own need and your weakness. And while you were once his enemies, you are now made his friends. Be reminded of the gospel and look to Christ. Remember that place card that's at the master's table that has your name on it. You think about the end picture of all of these things as, as time and space is going to be tied up. And you look at the tail end of Revelation and what you see is a feast, a great feast. And guess who's been invited? If you were in Christ, you. And there is a place card with your name on it at the table of grace that is kept in heaven for you, kept reserved, undeserving as you and I are. There is a place card with our name on it. Doesn't that just make you go, mm, that's good. Remember that name card. Remember that place card. Remember the cross where your sin was paid for. And respond to that work on your behalf by living a life worthy of the one who bought you back from the grave while you were dead in your sin and while you were an enemy of the true king in heaven. How is this powerful word that Paul is talking about, how is this powerful word shaping your life? How is it conforming you to the image of Christ? 
How is it giving you hope in the midst of difficulty and fear and worry and anxiety? How is this powerful word stepping on your toes, even this morning, and teaching you to flee sin and pursue righteousness? How is this word at work in your heart? Is it changing you? Is it shaping you? Are you being conformed more to the image of Christ as the Spirit works powerfully with this word? Not because of me, not because of anything that I'm saying, that this word coming to you and the Spirit at work. How's your life being changed by the gospel? This powerful word came through the folly of preaching and the Holy Spirit moved so mightily that it changed everything. Is that your story? The word came to you and it changed absolutely everything. Is the song of God's saving grace on your tongue and in your heart? From a worldly perspective, it may look like folly, and it might actually cost you something. And the question we're all asking, though, is this. Is it really worth it? That's the question we're asking. It might cost us something, but is it worth it? That's what we're asking. When you ask this question, look no further than Christ himself. The very incarnation of the powerful word of God that came to us in power while we were at our words. And it cost Jesus everything on the cross to secure everything for his people in that heavenly kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is this. He actually did it. He actually secured it. It is finished. It is done. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because it's founded upon not you, not me. It's founded upon Christ as our chief cornerstone. It's founded upon all that He has done for us. Man, that's good. Think about this Hebrews 1, 1-3. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's the payoff. The word of God for the people of God to the glory of God. A powerful word that works and shapes. And when that gets in your bones, it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1, 16-17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. The Holy Spirit will renovate your life and to look more like Christ to the glory of the Father. And yes, yes, it might actually cost you something in this life. It might. But don't forget that place card. Even as it costs you something in this life, don't forget that place card at the master's table with your name on it by grace. And so you think, is it worth it? Is it worth a little bit of toil and effort? Is it worth giving up something in this life? Yes, it is. Because of that. And because of what Christ has done for us by grace. It's amazing. A life changed powerfully by the gospel, even through a costly ministry, but coupled with a powerful word to encourage and change and shape us. And what's that look like? Remember Carrie and Rand you remember Karen and Randy at the beginning, that dilemma that they had? Do I sign off or do I not? I got, I'll give you a weekend to think about it. It's, it's how we bring money in. I mean, how are we going to keep going? Karen had a choice to make. She could sign off on something that she knew was immoral and, 
Or she could get fired and lose her only income. Karen had that choice. You can imagine. Should I sign? Should I not? Here's what she did. You probably guessed it. She refused to sign. And she was fired on the spot. Immediately. And went home and like, what am I going to do? But God wasn't finished with her. A few days later, the original company that had placed that large order for those syringes that she refused to send out because they were unsafe caught wind of what she had done. And because of her, because of her being able to say, I won't do it because it's unsafe, it cost her. Immediately it cost her. Because of that, that company found out and were, and were so impressed by the decision that they made that they hired her on the spot and gave her a raise. And the Lord took care of His people. Sure, it might be costly to be faithful to Christ in the moment, but God's always at work and His glory's always worth it in the end because of what Christ did at the cross. And so trust Christ. Trust His Word. Look to Christ. Be faithful. Trust God and let the chips fall where they may according to the sovereign providence of God who gave everything to seek you, to save you, and to bring you into His family. It might cost you something, but don't forget that place card. Don't forget that place card. And just know because of Christ, nothing, no one will be able to snatch that place card off of that table because it's safe in Christ. And so go trust Christ and be faithful. Go lean into the gospel. Keep trusting this word. Keep leaning in and trusting Christ. He will never leave you or forsake you. His kingdom is sure and steadfast. And just as Paul encouraged these young Christians, I encourage you this morning. Keep trusting Christ and keep being faithful. That's it. Beautifully simple. And with the Spirit's help, a powerful testimony to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. We pray that as we think about this ministry among the Thessalonians and how the gospel had come to them with great power, that our own hearts would be encouraged as we look back and we see all the ways that you have changed us by your word. Lord, you have called us by grace. You are shaping us by grace. We are kept until the very end by grace. And we pray, Lord, in those moments where we uh, bear up against hostility or persecution or have tough decisions that might cost us something in the world's eyes, may we remember this kingdom that is kept safe for us. May we remember that place card at the table and that nothing, no one, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing. And help us to just rest in that grace. Help us to continue to reach out to a broken and dying world around us for the sake of the gospel, knowing that we do not come empty-handed but that we bring the best news that humanity could hear. As D.T. Niles once said, Christianity is just one beggar telling the other beggar where they found the bread. And Lord, help us to be faithful in that task as we trust you day by day. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.